This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, everybody. Cheryl from Unleashed. And today I am honored to have a very special guest, Dr. Azalea Boyd, who is a practicing veterinarian in Atlanta, Georgia, who wears many, many hats. Dr. Boyd, you have so many accolades. So why don't you tell us about all the different things you're involved in? Oh, goodness. I first want to say thank you for having me on your show, Cheryl. I'm really excited about just connecting with you. So thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. So I am a graduate of Tuskegee University School of Veterinary Medicine. So by profession, I am a veterinarian and I served as medical director, mentor, coach, and trusted colleagues to many different clinics in the metro Atlanta area. I have passions for the human-animal bond. So I do tend to do talks on the human-animal bond and connect with organizations that also have that same focus. And right now I serve as a committee chair for the veterinary advisory board for an organization that you guys will hear more about by the name of CARE. That I'm interested in. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so CARE stands for Companion Animal Reform and Equity, okay? And the mission is really to prioritize and amplify voices in the BIPOC, which is Black and Indigenous people of color, okay? So you'll hear me refer to that as BIPOC, and also marginalized communities in regards to pet health care, the human-animal bond, okay? And when I say marginalized communities, just so that there's a reference point, it's really confined to the peripheral edge of society. So groups that are typically denied involvement from mainstream economic or political or social activities, those are the groups that are usually excluded and deprived of certain resources. And so in regards to pet health care and the human-animal bond, they are also deprived of the resources that benefit their pets, which, as we know, are extensions of our family. So CARE's mission is really to hear their stories, let them know that they're heard, valued, and that we care about these communities, we care about their relationships with their pets. And we recognize that the human-animal bond, which, you know, we know that from terms of man's best friend, it's not just important in the communities that we see, but the outskirts as well. Right. Like homeless people with pets. Exactly. Exactly. And they will do anything for their pets. Will do anything. Absolutely. And it's really funny. When I was growing up, of course, I had dogs, but it's different now. And of course, the industry has exploded where there is so much money to be made in things for your dog or things for your cat. You know, they have beds, they have blankets. I know with my dog, Tilly, you know, I got her the bed. And when I bought her a blanket, that really changed things for her. She happens to like blankets. That might just be her. But that blanket, I have to get permission to wash it. (laughs) I have to get Uh permission to take the bed out of the house to wash it. She knew she was home. And, you know, having you on today, and it's Black History Month, we're going to talk about the lack of diversity in the field of veterinary medicine, which which is is really shocking. Yeah. Out of the, the percentage 
of blacks that are veterinarians is like 1.7%. Yep. It's right under 2% of veterinarians that are black. So you have it right. And I mean, if you Google it, if you Google whitest profession in America, okay, veterinarians are definitely on the top 10 of the whitest professions in America. So and, and no diversity and ethnically also. Exactly. Exactly. I want to come up with a way that maybe that could be changed. I want to ask you, when did you know you wanted to be a vet? Ooh, this is the this is a great question. So it kind of sounds corny, okay? It's not <laughs> it's one of those things that I've wanted to do since I was three years old. And fortunately for me, I have wonderful parents who identified that I was always bringing the squirrels in, literally, from the yard and bringing them into my room and keeping them in my closet and doing my own mini surgeries on them. Poor squirrels, I'm so sorry. But it was just something that I have always, I've always been connected to animals. So it's something that I knew that I was going to be from a very early, early age. How did you get squirrel? How did you catch them? You know, the thing is with the squirrels is that our cat, who was an outside cat, would bring them, the squirrels and the chipmunks, almost half dead to the door. And I just found it my responsibility to patch them back together. Yeah. Unfortunately, I never truly saved one because I should have just kind of taken them out of their misery in some way. Well, you know, but you tried. <laughs> I know, but I tried. I was I've seen squirrels unfortunately get hit by a car and they lay there and like two seconds later they jump up. You know, oh, they're goodness. out of their shock. But heart wrenching for me. Definitely heart wrenching. Yes. And so out of all the veterinarians I've talked to, everybody has said that they knew when they were younger that's yeah. they loved animals and they wanted to do something with animals. So maybe the recruitment for students should be in high school or junior high. You know, we yeah. all have counselors and, you know, that we went, you know, we go to our counselor. What do you want to be? Imagine at 18, what do you want to be when you grow up? Pick something for a lifetime. It sounds crazy, but when you're dealing with medicine or veterinarian care and certain things like that, artistic, I know artists that didn't really start to paint or get involved in the arts until they were older. So yeah. that might be something that universities could start recruitment at the grade level. Something has to be done because we need more vets to begin with 104,000 when there's all these dogs and animals yeah. that we have. It's crazy. How many medical doctors are there? Yeah, there's quite a few medical doctors compared to veterinarians, that's for sure. And I completely agree with you. I think that the outreach to increase diversity in veterinary medicine has to be from a very early age. And there's lots of research and studies about how do we get ethnic populations to be more involved in veterinary medicine. And I'll tell you, I knew that I was trying to save that squirrel, but I might not have known at the time that I wanted to be a veterinarian. And that just might be from my inexposure to seeing veterinarians, you know, my an exposure to that. And so starting at grade level is a wonderful way to let these kids know that, hey, there is a profession called veterinarian and they can look like me and lots of other different ethnicities. And especially now where we have the internet and there's a zillion things on television, it's not like when I was growing up and there were like maybe five, six stations 
and young kids would be able to see that today. And I'm you had a cat. Did you have a dog growing up? You know, I did. Let me tell you a little bit about kind of my background. I come from Caribbean American heritage. Okay. So my grandmother, who we lost, unfortunately, you know, she was the matriarch of our family. We lost her three days ago. So everything that I am. Yeah, no, everything that I am, I give credit to her. But coming from Jamaica, they're used to seeing pets outside, you know, and just throwing kind of leftovers in the backyard and considering that love, you know, because that's just kind of the way it was. So even my exposure growing up, I don't know if I could say I knew I was going to be a veterinarian, but I knew that my love and passion for looking into animals' eyes and, and wanting to help them was definitely there. Well, you know, there's so many different ways to go with veterinarian medicine because 61% of the diseases that affect us affect animals. They come from animals. I remember when I worked at a job um, down here in Florida where I had to deal with a veterinarian to get certificates and get things approved. There was a ranch that I would go to. And, you know, he would have to sign off on these things. So there's all different types of veterinary medicine. There's all different types. I mean, there's the exotic, there's the poultry. Now you're, you're involved also with poultry. So I got my bachelor's of science in animal and poultry sciences. And so right now I am pretty much small animal companion, a small animal companion veterinarian. So I deal with cats and dogs occasionally guinea pigs and occasionally snakes here and there but you're right birds is separate birds is separate yeah you know once you get out of school you learn about all these different species which what you know makes veterinary school what they say we're the real doctors compared to human medical doctors who study one body but we learn about all these species and then once you get out into the field you decide, do you want to work with large animals? Do you want to be with horses or farm animals? Like you said, do you want to be with doing epidemiology where you're studying diseases that can potentially affect the world? You know, there's research, there's zoo medicine, there's so many different ways to go. Marine veterinarians, it's such a wide opportunity for veterinarians out there. Now, the more specialized you get, the harder and a little bit more competitive it is, but it's definitely reachable. Now, how many years does it take to become a veterinarian? So four years of college, right? Doing your undergraduate degree and then four years of veterinary medical school. And then after veterinary medical school, a lot of veterinarians will just opt for that clinical experience by doing an internship. And then after that, if you're interested in in even refining your skill set, either to be a veterinary cardiologist or a veterinary surgeon, you would then follow a residency just like in human medicine. And that could be? That's usually about three years. So (laughs) So it goes by fast. It goes by fast. (laughs) Yeah. And it's got to be expensive. Listen, yeah. People have to think about that. So they have to come up with scholarships or yep. some kind of way that people could, because there's a high demand now for vets. I know that few vets that I've dealt with recently, they're overworked. Absolutely. Whether somebody wants to be part of a veterinarian practice or, you know, it's like the chef. He's a great chef, but then he wants to own a restaurant. There you go. He might have been a great chef, but he's not a good manager. So They have to decide how they want to go. You know, it always looks easier when you're the vet. 
it's your practice and your headaches. Yeah. When I go in, they are packed. You know, they put you in a room with your your dog and you got to wait. And of course, the only good thing is that they have treats. <laughs> so <laughs> usually pet treats, not human treats, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, human treats, treats would be nice too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're right, Cheryl. There's um veterinarians on a whole, right? They incur a significant amount of debt from schooling. So yeah, all those years you kind of heard me adding up. Most of, I think the last thing I read, most veterinarians graduate with like a hundred thousand to 300 plus thousand dollars in student loans. And then what happens is vets are, are paid, but not necessarily always paid enough to manage that debt repayment. So it, it definitely becomes kind of a struggle to even for the diverse, the ethnic population of people who want to be veterinarians, because they're like, how are we going to pay back these loans? You know, from a financial standpoint, the ethnic population of students who want to be veterinarians need financial support, right? I can tell you, I've had many of my colleagues that I, you know, after my first couple of years being out of school, they say, oh yeah, I just finished making my last loan payment and we're having a loan party, repayment party, you should come over. And I'm scratching my head, like how in the hell, you know, I'm probably going to be paying my, my loans off for the rest of my life. But scholarships are important, especially when we're talking about increasing the diversity in veterinary medicine. That is a huge chunk. That one multimillionaire who paid everybody's college off. Uh, right. That's right. What you need. Yes. Yeah. You need vets. And it is a skill. And, you know, when you make money, you go to the supermarket, you go away, you buy a car, you go out to dinner. You know, that's what it's all about. But 104,000 veterinarians in a country that has 330 million people and a lot of people have more than one pet. Absolutely. The stats now is it's like 2,200 pets per vet right now in the U.S. So for every one vet, there's 2,200 pets. And so going back to your point about vets being overworked and overwhelmed and the increasing number of suicide rates, unfortunately, in this profession, it gets very emotional. It's there are many reasons for it. I'm not going to just pin it on one reason, but it's a real thing. Well, I read that one of the reasons is many vets feel they can help the pet but the owner doesn't have the wherewithal to have that done and they're frustrated. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and that is something that I have experienced on for, for many years. I've been a vet since 2008 when I graduated and, you know, the unlike the human side of things where people just present their insurance card on the animal side of things, it is, if you don't have the money, you don't receive the care that you need. And we know in these marginalized communities, the money isn't there. You know, there's a lot of poverty. And so as a vet, it is heart-wrenching when you know that you can't give the care that you so desperately want to because there's just no money. And that adds to the stress load for sure. And we can dive into that. And I'll tell you, really, a lot of it is veterinarian care for most of our animals is preventive care. Oh yeah. Which is oh, yeah. dentistry, the vaccinations. Yes. Um, you know, 
I had pets that lived 13, 15, 19 years. That's not happening anymore. You're lucky you get 15, 16, 17 years. I think I read somewhere one in five will get cancer. Cancer in, in animals now? It's high. It's definitely high. And, and that's another one of CARE's mission, the organization that I'm representing today, is that their focus is truly on these communities that need access not only to care when there's illnesses, but preventative care, because that preventative care is going to, in the word, prevent, right, sometimes fatal illnesses. And it again, it's heart-wrenching. Yes, it is. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, and today I'm talking with Dr. Azalea, like the plant. Like the bush. Boy, like the bush. <laughs> boy, has a practice in Georgia, in Atlanta, and we're trying to come up with different ways and bringing attention to our listeners as well, that there's a lack of diversity in the field of veterinary medicine, which is a profession, you're a doctor, and how that could be rectified. And as we were just saying, much of the care when you go to a vet is preventative. And for the marginal communities or people that are lower income, they probably aren't taking care of their own health, or yet maybe they care more about the dog than their own health. Absolutely. And everything has to work. I have Tilly. Tilly, she's my health plan. If something happens to me, I got to have like a plan. Yeah. It's not like a cat, which I had. I had cats for a long time, but this, is, <laughs> this you have to be upfront. Everything, because she's young, everything is a thought process. I got to finagle everything. When I go here, how long will I be? What is she going to do? everything. And I do it lovingly because I'll do anything for this dog. She's my person or I'm her person. She's my, my best friend. But so how could our listeners help with care? Do they go out into the community? How can we help? So another great question. And we need people who care about pets and if you have a certain skill set, if you're a listener and you're a veterinarian or veterinary staff member, get connected with us. But another big part is donations. Just like any other animal pet welfare organization, donations are key. The Atlanta Humane Society, we can watch those. We, we turn our eyes because it's so sad to watch the commercials from them, you know, but they thrive off of donations. And so 
care also thrives off of the great team members and the people that are actually out doing the footwork, but donations is a, is a big part of it. So okay. um, we'll put that link on the show when yeah. this airs. And uh, what about people to help maybe walk animals? I mean, you know, sometimes people get sick and they're not able to take care of their pet. Do they go into shelters as well, care? Because I know a lot of shelters have their own veterinarian staff. Right. So that is being in the works right now. What I would say is any help that you guys need, if there is a need for help, connect with us on the link. It's careawo.org. Email us, reach out to us because we are really thriving to do everything that we can. We do focus on trying to keep the pet with the family. So a lot of times, if you think about just foster care, right? On the human side, if you're not 100%, if you're fallen sick or you're not 100%, we don't want you to surrender your pet. We want you to be able to keep your pet, but maybe even have that baby fostered until you're able to get back on your feet. And that's illness-wise or money-wise. have a pet. Oh my goodness. There's so many benefits of having a pet in your home. You know, you live longer, you're happier, you're wanting to get home, you're exercising. It's a mutually beneficial and beautiful relationship. Oh, since I've had Tilly, because I walk maybe between five and 6,000 steps a day, because, you know, I walk her forever, you know, I lost weight and it's the greatest thing. I mean, it's not the kind of walk I normally would do, just me going a mile or two straight, you know, heart pumping, but. It's still good exercise, and I take it to the park every day. I'm lucky that it's so close, a mile from my house, and I get the exercise there. She gets the exercise. See, dogs need exercise, and they need socialization. Yeah, and so do we. <laughs> so do we, yeah. Yes. And, but animals know when they're home. That's why I said, you know, the bed, her bowl, and the blanket made her feel she's home. And that's when she got her voice and she started to bark. And that's when, you know, people would walk by my front door and she would be alerted because that was her place now. You know, I think when you have a pet, you want that. Our listeners could help. You know, that's just great because I've never not lived with a pet. And it's good for kids. It teaches them responsibility. Years ago, we used to have uh, show and tell people would bring their animals in. You know, oh, I found a cat. Oh, this is my dog. You know, maybe we should do that more today. I, I don't even know. Do they still have show and tell in school? You know, they have a career day. See, I don't know if our kids are out of the age of show and tell groups, but I'm sure that they've got to still have them. But for sure, they have career days. I've been asked to attend a few career days, so it's happening. What's the future for Dr. Boyd? Oh, goodness. So my future is really connected with this organization. Like I said, I've been a vet for a long time and I think I've really uh, honed in on my passion for helping. You know, you get into this profession to help and I think that there's no better community of people to help than BIPOC and marginalized communities. So that is one. I'm also um, working on a book by the name of Conscious BVM And DVM stands for Doctorate of Veterinary Medicine. And when you're conscious, you're aware Doctorate of Veterinary Medicine. And so really that book, I'm pouring another angle of my passion in 
remember that there's only 2% of veterinarians that are black. So even though black people tend to understand concepts of diversity a little bit better and people of different ethnicities, but again, it's one of the widest professions in, the, in America being a veterinarian and sometimes white or non-ethnic veterinarians have their own personal bias and ideologies that differ from their pet parents, which can alter pet care. And so in this book, it's just sharing stories and conversations that happen behind the closed doors of veterinary clinics in relation to our cultural differences, because even though they're cultural differences, simultaneously, we are all similar. We love, we hurt, we get angry, we desire relationships, so and so on and so on. The one thing I do not want is for someone's cultural background to be the reason why there's a lost connection between that owner and that veterinarian or veterinary staff member, because once you lose that connection, we fail the pet. So I am locked into putting more words on these pages and if you go to my personal website, pagingdrboyd.com, and just subscribe on that landing page, as soon as it is released, I will let you guys know. Okay. And that'll be wonderful. But, you know, it's not just Blacks that are in the, you know, 2%. It's Asians, it's Latinos. And I don't know, uh, do you find that your patients, who are your patients where you are in Atlanta? Dogs, cats. Yeah, dogs, black, Asian, Latino, all of it, all of it, you know, Caucasian. I mean, I get to see a mix and I connect with each one of my clients because I know I have a job to do, which is taking care of their pet, no matter their color or anything, religion, what they wear, how many teeth they have. You know, I see so many people. And so it's what I love to do. I love connecting with people. So there's a graphic out. It shows you. I think it's four different Labrador retrievers in all their different colors. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it says, we're all the same. Racism is stupid because they're all the same dog in different colors. It doesn't yeah. really matter. I would like to see, I mean, 104,000 to me is mind boggling. That's a drop in the bucket. Where I am, there are a lot of veterinarians. And then there's the veterinarian that, you know, three o'clock in the morning, you're going to need. Right. And that would be me because that's what I do right now. I'm an emergency veterinarian at night. But, you know, again, in my position, if I present an estimate that's $2,000 for this puppy who, you know, was either hit by a car or a kitty who fell from the high rise and there's no money, it, it really ties our hand. And so that's why donations are so important, you know part of the reason why donations are so important. Well, years ago, a lot of doctors worked out of their house. A lot of dentists did. I mean, I went to a dentist as a kid and he had an office in his house, you know, probably was a lot easier than renting space, everything. It's your cost involved too. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, and you have to hire people. You have people that work with you, right? You have text, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to talk about, blood donations. I know that one dog could save 15 other dogs with a blood donation. Absolutely. And not every vet does that. I, I guess it's a different kind of procedure, right? It, it is. It is a different. I mean, we can all get the blood and, and it has to be filtered. And there's, you know, little things here and there that you have to do to make sure it's collected properly. But there are blood banks that are geared toward 
collecting blood and making sure that they're blood products. But I think as a whole, human and pet blood is just hard. It's harder to find. Yeah, I know there's not a lot of vets. Does the dog have to be anesthetized? Usually there's parameters. So we wouldn't want to take blood from a significantly geriatric dog or a dog too young or of certain size. So there are definitely certain parameters and then health parameters too. So, you know, chronic illnesses, you know, things of that nature. But with light sedation, yes, we can pull the blood that we need. And if you're ever interested in that, make sure you connect with your veterinarian and let them know and let them guide you on the next steps. Yeah, because I mean, Tilly is a very healthy dog and I don't know of any vet locally because I know there's just some that do it. Yeah. So so what the vets would do is call their local blood bank and say, hey, I have a client here. Dogs in tip top health wants to donate blood. What can I do? And then your veterinarian will help you along the way with the next steps. And it's okay for the donor dog, right? It's not a problem. Oh, no. We, the dogs replenish their red blood cells and get them right back into circulation. So maybe a little bit exhausted after day one, but usually by day two, they bounce right back, similar to how we feel when we get blood drawn. Now, what kind of blood types do dogs have? For dogs and cats, it's a little bit different. They are DEA positive and DEA negative, but essentially the same typing that's done prior to transfusions. And so before any transfusions happen, the dogs are usually tested and cats too, usually tested before the transfusions. I guess in in humans, O is universal, correct? Correct. That is the case in humans. I'm A positive. I think a lot of people are A positive. Yeah, I think I'm A positive with you, Cheryl. I think I'm there. I'm an A in something. (laughs) You're an A in a lot of things. Are you kidding me? (laughs) We have to find rich, rich people to help with scholarships. We need money people, wealthy people who love pets to help with scholarship. That means funding these students that have a passion and interest, just like I did from a very young age, assuring that they don't end up, once they're veterinarians, living, struggling to pay back their student loans. We need resources for these marginalized communities. Donate, donate, donate. We know what to do with the funds and we're doing all the, the, the footwork. And so we appreciate everyone, even if you're unable to donate, even email, let us know what you can do. We appreciate all the work. I'll add the links on and anything that I could do via my show, I certainly will, will help. My first boyfriend, he wanted to be a vet and also from a young age and always loved cats and loved animals. And at that time, the schools in this country were full. There certainly weren't only 32 of them. There might have been four of them. So he went to school in Brussels. That program was seven years. And I remember visiting him there and uh, they brought in a horse with a, a crane I guess they were going to learn about the horse. I didn't stay for that part. But I remember we went out to a restaurant and he ordered rabbit. And after he ate the rabbit, he put all the bones back together. I will never forget that. Pretty something, huh? Shocked. (laughs) The story you just told me. That is, uh, listen, I had a client the other day that loved her kitty. Her kitty was her baby. 
but she was also a forensic science teacher. And we had to do the worst thing ever, of course, euthanize her baby, put her baby to sleep. But she asked me for the remains because she wanted to use the, her baby's bones to help teach her class. I thought it was a little surprising, but I thought, you know, beautiful. Okay. <laughs> you know, animals do not fear death. I mean, when I interviewed Dr. Paul, he told me that. And when you think about it, I mean, I've put many animals, not me personally, but I've been there. We should all go that way. It's so peaceful, but she's forensic. So okay. she's forensic. So it made sense. Yeah. Or else what else? She was going to bury him. And she uh, they got to teach a class. And this gent, this uh, friend of mine, he always wanted to teach me to be like a tech or an assistant. And I didn't want to do it. I don't know why, because I love animals and it would be a nice profession. You know, I was involved in something else. Not smart of me, for sure. Mm -hmm. One little regret of my many. We all have. You haven't lived unless you've had regrets. I know. I always remember that. And I remember him visiting me when I lived on Long Island and I had three cats. And of course, he was going to check them. And he walked in and they hid. Doesn't matter where you go. Vets smell like a vet. <laughs> they will have a standoff at the door if you ask them to come in. You know, that's it. That's it. I just have one question. Have you dealt with a lot of dogs that had heartworm? I have. I have a number. I mean, I can't even count thousands of dogs, you know, in my career as a veterinarian who are heartworm positive. The treatment can be very expensive. But, you know, Cheryl, the, the best thing about it is that preventive. the preventative care is significantly, significantly more affordable. And then you don't have to worry about painful treatment. I give Tilly that little chew every first of every month. month. Yeah. And now they're making things where you could give an injection for six months. So you don't have to remember it every month or even every year. There's an injection that covers dogs for heartworm disease or heartworm prevention for a full year. So you definitely want preventative care is huge. Yes. Well, I think in people too. And somehow we don't, well, we don't always want to go to the doctor, but we always feel better when we leave, you know, yes, if you get good news. If you get good news, you want to keep it that way, though. That's the that's the you part. don't want to hear get your stuff in order. You're on your way out. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it was really a pleasure having you and we will keep in touch. And I'm going to say goodbye to our listeners. OK, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm Cheryl from Unleashed. I want to wish you a happy day. I want to thank Mark. I want to thank Dr. Boyd for being our guest today. Lots of fun. And check out some of our other hosts on the uh, Pet Life Radio family. Some very interesting people. And remember, live life unleashed. See you next time. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.